maximize your influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here with Kurt Mortensen, ready for another episode of Power Packed Persuasion, Influence, Negotiation, and Leadership Techniques. How's that for now? Yeah, that was good. I like that. Can you do it again? No, no, I, I totally trail <laughs> off. I don't know if you heard the incoherent mumbling. shot there. Anyway, it's about good stuff, making more money, being more successful, and getting others to want to do what you want them to do and like doing it. We just leave it at that. Yep, yep. You've probably run across those people in your life where you thought, you know, that guy's just not that sharp. He doesn't know the product very well. <laughs> But he made more money than you. He ran circles around you when it came to persuasion. So that's what we're here to fix. Or even worse, they got the promotion. You're like, what? Yeah. Like, back to influence, too. It's all about the influence. Yep, or knowing the right person, which is kind of yeah. influence, isn't that's it? That's influence, too. The people skills, the connection, the charisma, all of the above. You could be totally incompetent, but if you're a good persuader and know the right people, you don't even need to know anything. And I'll put money on that everybody knows that incompetent person that knows nothing but like, wait a minute, uh -huh. man, they're successful. They, how do they afford a car like that? Uh, persuasion. It's crazy. I was talking to a guy who, and we were chattering about some of the local business dealings around here, and there's a guy you and I both know, I'll tell you when we're done here, no, who, who we name names, huh? Yeah, I'm not, I don't, we never name <laughs> names unless you're an attorney or an airline. You know the policy. Oh, okay. Yeah. So... You and I both know this guy, and we've made comments to each other in the past, like, how's that guy in the right place at the right time all the time? And he's done it again. I'll tell you about it. But he just, wow, he knows the right people. He knows how to work that side of things. He should be a lobbyist. Yeah, some people just have it. People are like, oh, they were born that way. No, it can be learned. It definitely can be learned. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. And that's what we're here for, to exactly. teach to that Make sure to you're you. on the right track so you can have that magic skill of influence. Yes, and maybe offend you, talk to you about food. There are a few other ancillary benefits to listening to the show. All of the above. You get offended, you get the food tips, and you get a few persuasion skills along the way. But wait, there's more. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's more. Tell me. <laughs> no, there's. I'm just infomercial no, you. It just sounds good. I, I love that. It thing. does sound good. Yeah, it does sound good. And if you'd like to hear more of it, segue, then be sure to send us your comments, questions, derogatory remarks to MaximizeYourInfluence at gmail.com. Listen to us on Stitcher Radio, on iTunes, on BlackBerry, Windows Marketplace, or just go to MaximizeYourInfluence.com, and you can listen to the show there. And we're still uh, continually trying to fix that website, get it up and running. Uh, I know early on when we were doing the show, we were having issues with uh, spammers <laughs> that like sure. to get on blogs and just write nonsense. So we turned off the comment feature, and we're trying to resurrect that because we'd like you to be able to interact and uh, talk about what you think about the show. But you can... If you have a strong opinion about us, which we hope you do, go on to iTunes and leave us a review there. That is always helpful or detrimental, whatever your motive may be. Hey, can we bribe them to do that? Is that legal? Oh, uh, you got something in mind? Sure. I'll, let's, uh, I'll give in uh, the audios of the new second edition of Maximum Influence, the audios for free for leaving... I can't say positive. For leaving a remark, hopefully it's positive. Let us know you left a remark. Send us an email, maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com, and I will send you an autographed copy. can't be autographed because it's audio, but it sounds good. A copy, an audio copy of the second edition of Maximum Influence. How's that? Is that legal? I think that's legal. Yeah. Oh, I like it. Let's do it. Yeah, just make sure you tell us kind of what, what your comment 
said, so we know that you're real, that you went through the effort, but you have to have an iTunes account, which if you don't just go to iTunes.com, super easy to get one. And you click on iTunes store and podcasts and just search maximize your influence and we'll pop right up. Giddy up. Giddy up. There you go. <laughs> Kramer. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's where Kurt gets his giddy he's, up from. He's the master persuader right there. Yeah. <laughs> well, we've got some interesting content to cover with you today. We have a ninja. We have a homer. We have a geeky article moment. And we have some quality information on closing skills and generating a powerful call to action. How's that, Kurt? Hey, all of the above. Let's do it. All of the above. You want to take it away with your uh, nerdy, geeky article thing? My geeky article. How are you Thank coming you on a sound segment. effect for that, by the way? <laughs> we need some listeners to send us one. And this one comes from Michigan State University, whether you're a fan or not. I think they're ranked this year, aren't they, in football? Is football season starting here pretty quick? Are uh, they ranked? Can't you feel it in the air? Yeah, they're. Uh, I think they're top 10 and people talk yeah, about Yeah, so State. anyway... They did a study, this is about abusive leaders, how that just doesn't undermine the person but the whole team. And they found that rude and abusive behavior, although it's fun, I added that part, when they do that towards employees, it harms not just that person but the entire team. So they did the study with Australia, United States, and they're looking, okay, what is the real true effect of, again, non-physical abuse and what's going on there? And so they took a look at supervisors who belittled and ridiculed workers and found that it affected the whole team, that everyone became a little more hostile, a little more aggressive, a little more demeaning when they saw a supervisor abuse someone. And I thinking about that person, I think that goes back to maybe elementary school and on the play was it called the playland? What's the word I'm looking for? On the The playground. Re, the playground or during <laughs> recess. I I gotta get that one right. Yeah, hey, anyway. knock yourself on the side of the head and see if you can reset the computer there. There we go. Anyway, where when you know one person starts doing it, it makes it okay, and other people start doing it. But they found that other team members started doing the same type of things. It can be explained by social learning theory in which people learn and model the other behavior of others. But they did a study where it's about six workers on each team, and they had a variety of things to do from customer service to support to research and development. And they found when there was this non-physical abuse, could be verbal mistreatment, demeaning emails, that when the employees felt that abuse, they felt devalued and they actually contributed less to the team. And when the team saw this, they actually started to participate that with other coworkers and basically there was more conflict. So whether it's team at work and I would even say with family, when somebody sees a leader demean anybody, and no leader should ever do that, but when they demean someone, I think it demeans the leader, but it also gives permission for the rest of the team to demean and devalue other members of the team. Well, there you go. There you go. The culture of the company comes from the top, does it not? It comes from the top. And I think the opposite would be true. If you see a leader or a manager, and they are different, praise somebody, boost someone's self-esteem, take the higher road, not be a politician and blame everybody else for all the problems and not taking responsibility for what's going on. When you see that happen, I think it would have the opposite effect, too, as far as giving everyone else permission to praise and take ownership and boost people's self-esteem. And I think that would do a 180 to the team and change that corporate culture. Definitely. Definitely. Well, that's good. We'll post a link to that study on the blog from Michigan State University, the Spartans, and uh, we'll see how they do this year. But they got a good study coming out nonetheless. There we go. So let's plow into what we wanted to talk about today for the core the core portion of the show, which is closing skills, or as you like to call it, a call to action. Is that right? That's right. Closing skills. And everyone, 
loves the word closing skills. And when someone's having a problem in sales or influence, they're like, learn closing skills. So I need to kind of put a disclaimer here. And you've heard me say this before, that first of all, closing skills is like trying to get a kiss after a bad date, number one. Meaning, if you have a clever phrase during the sales process and they don't like you, they don't trust you, it doesn't matter, it actually makes it worse. And number two, you have to realize that this call to action, this close is happening the whole time and you need to be aware of that. And it's not just that little final magical thing you say at the end. This is something you build into your whole presentation. And we've talked about demeanor change before a few episodes ago that you are closing or you have this call to actions going on the whole time. So when you ask them to do something, it shouldn't surprise them and they should be more willing to do it. In fact, the best case scenario is that you're helping them close themselves to where they say, okay, I'm ready to go. How do we get started? What's the next step? That's when you know you're doing the right thing as a persuader because you help them persuade themselves. Okay, great. So there are some old school, uh, slimy, I got to take a shower after I hear them closing <laughs> lines out there. Just for fun, what are some of the cheesy lines that you're hearing people use? Oh, the old cheese ball. Wasn't we, we call that cheese ball effect? Yeah, yeah. We got to get a sound <laughs> effect for that too while we're at it. The cheese ball effect. They're out there. I think when it's not natural and just happens, you get the cheese ball alert. I think the old Ben Franklin close does that. Well, let's do a, do a list of pros and cons, especially when there's no trust there. I think you have the old assumptive close can be burned out. Well, do you want it in green or blue? They're like, well, I don't want it at all. What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I think any clothes can turn to cheese ball when you don't have the trust, you don't have the connection. You're just throwing it out there hoping that they'll say yes. There's the the one popular by car dealers, and I've seen it in other industries too. It's the, what do we got to do to do a deal today? Yeah. Right? And yeah. I think that, like you said, it's a kiss after a bad date. If they've done well getting the pain out, right, then... A question like that at the right time and phrased the right way might not be cheesy, but up front like that, it's just pushy and greasy and you don't like it. It's There's another one going around with the car dealerships right now, by the way, that I've, I noticed because we were shopping for a car last fall and my brother was telling me the same thing about two months ago. He was shopping for a car and what they're saying is, oh yeah, well, we've got this car. What do you want your payment to be? <laughs> right? It's they're, they're trying to take the focus off the price. What do you want your payment to be? And you know, they're going to do all kinds of greasy backdoor things to, yeah, your payment is this, but uh, it's for 10 years or, <laughs> right? Well, or you didn't get just, tires or something. And that shows a, a change in consumer mentality where we don't care what the price is anymore. We want to know what the payment is. Even though yeah. it's over 10 years, we're just concerned about the payment instead of being smart in the overall price. But that's a great point about the cheesiness factor. If they know I want a Mustang and they found the right one and we build trust and we're going to go for it, when they say, well, we've got a white, green one or a black one on the lot, which one's perfect for you, then that's okay, right? I need to choose that and that's a great, easy close. But if we start out with something like that or there's no trust, there's no desire, there's no what's in it for me, then it's going to backfire in every time. Right. I felt like the control was being taken away and maybe that's a good thing from a persuasion standpoint. But when they kept saying, well, what do you want the payment to be? It's because I was asking a question. And uh, there's that old adage, you know, when you're closing, you want to answer a question with a question, but you've got to give the prospect something to chew on. They have to be at least a little bit satisfied. You can't keep uh, badgering them with a question like that. Like you said, it's very popular. It must be working with a large segment of the marketplace who just cares about monthly payment. They don't care that their interest rate is you know, 18% <laughs> and they, well, they got to pay on that car for the next well, 10 years. Well, think about this. Your best prospect as a car dealership is someone who's going to pay cash, right? And you say that to someone who's going to pay cash, 
they're going to run away. Yeah. Because you didn't ask any questions at all. Like, well, I'm going to pay cash, you moron. And they're going to walk. You haven't connected. You said something stupid. There's that bad feeling. It might work on most of the people, but a lot of people, maybe your best prospects, people are going to write a check that day are walking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I was more concerned of, you know, if I was going to finance a thing, I was going to, I wanted a good rate and I wanted a good price. And uh, I, I was willing to sacrifice a little bit, but they weren't listening. So that that's something cheesy that I've noticed that's been that's been floating around. So when we talk about this, so closing so many times, I think there's the perception by people out there of, hey, I can learn a couple of lines and my closing rate's going to go up because I use these good lines. But it's so much like foundation. You have to lay that foundation for quite a while before a line like that would uh, be effective. So how do we start this? Because this is happening well before what people perceive most closing skills are, are actually coming into play. Well, the key factor here is, as I mentioned, that you're closing the whole time. That's first of all. And and when you create your presentation, you need to know what your close is. What is your call to action? What do you want them to do? So the first thing you ask yourself, okay, what do you want them to do? And that is embedded in your whole presentations and the questions that you ask. You need to make it something that's quick and easy, something you don't have to think about, something that's easy to do. That is a big thing for a lot of people. It's complicated. They're not sure what you want them to do. Are they supposed to say yes? Are they supposed to sign something? Are they supposed to come back later? Do they need more information? It should be so easy and such a no-brainer that they do it. Like the story, the farmer with the toothache and he didn't want to go to the dentist, couldn't afford a dentist, didn't want to go, but the pain was getting stronger and stronger and stronger. He finally went to the dentist and the this poor farmer says, uh, Doc, you know, can you save my tooth? And Dennis is like, no way. This is terrible. We're going to have to pull it. You've waited too long for me to save it. And the farmer didn't have that much money. And the farmer says, well, how much does it cost? And the dentist says, well, I can pull it for $200. He's like, $200? How long does it take? He's like, a couple minutes. He's like, $200 for a couple minutes? Are you kidding me? And the dentist just kind of sat back in his little chair and smiled and says, well, if it's a time you're worried about, I can take as long as you want. <laughs> yeah. Okay? Meaning when people get to the close of the call to action, this should only be about 5% of your presentation. It shouldn't shock them. It's not like asking a, guys when you ask a girl out for a date and, oh, what about the weather and how you do? And they're like, just ask her out already. The more you beat around the bush, the more she doesn't want to go out with you. And the same is true with your clothes. 5% of the presentation, you've been closing your whole time, quick and easy. It'll make a huge difference in your ability to influence. Okay, good, good. So what are some of the ways that we can lay the groundwork for a solid uh, call to action? Well, you know, to close effectively, we have to open effectively, get to the point in many cases. But how do we lay that foundation? So that 5%, which is what most people complain about, which is what most people think they're struggling with. How do we make that not come off so awkward and painful for everybody involved? Well, first of all, you should be excited about closing somebody. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where you're going to get paid. You don't want to be like we talked about last week. You wouldn't be interested, would you? This should excite you. This is what you get paid for. This is what you specialize in. So you've got to change your whole mindset and demeanor. And the whole time you're asking closing questions, trial closes and get them close. And if you can be perceived as the expert, then all of a sudden there's very little resistance and what you recommend is going to be easy because it's going to solve their problem. So if you can ask the right questions, find the what's in it for me, build the credibility, either yourself as an expert or borrow credibility from other people, then all of a sudden when you get there, it's like, well, it's a no-brainer. I see the return on investment. It's going to solve my problem. You're the expert. Here's my word again. Giddy up. Let's go. Now, we're being vague here, but what are some of the right questions? The good ones. Oh, okay. Ask the good ones, everybody. <laughs> 
Well, we've talked a little bit about open-ended questions. Your goal, as we've talked about, being a doctor of persuasion, you're trying to diagnose it. You're asking questions. Well, what about this? How much money have you lost? Why do you feel that way? Why aren't you going with that provider anymore? What do you see happening in the future if we don't do anything? The type of questions where we're helping you find the pain, peg the pain, and then you have a solution for that. Remember, you're diagnosing, you're thinking it through, you're the expert, makes a big difference because we've all been in situations, even at a car dealership, I guess we're making fun of today, where they try to give you a solution and it's not your solution, it has the opposite effect. So it's, I don't even know if we've talked about this on the podcast, but it's, it's that whole doctor mentality that people can have. You know, when you go to the doctor, you're going there for a diagnosis and you trust the guy and for some reason, and, and it's a lot to do with credibility, it's a lot to do with pain. When a doctor asks you questions, you answer, right? I mean, you don't you don't sit there and go, oh, I'm not going to answer that, or you can't ask me that. That's too personal, right? People just kind of wave that when they get to the doctor. So why why do they do that? What does a doctor have that, that a used car salesman doesn't? I know it's kind of a, it might seem well, obvious on its face. With the degree on the wall and the white coat, they are the experts. You have a problem. You're there for them to solve your problem. And that just opens the door for influence because they're the expert. Ask away. It's very rare for a doctor to ask too many questions that'll offend you because you want to let them know. And you tell them everything they need to know to persuade you and to solve your problem. And you want that same relationship in a persuasion cycle. Well, th that's a perception then of the client or the patient or, or whoever you want to call them here. Okay. So they say they wake up in the morning and they go, I've had a fever for two days and my throat hurts. I'm going to call the doctor and make an appointment. And I think from the very beginning, if we were to do kind of a persuasion autopsy here, maybe that's a good uh, a good book idea, huh? Persuasion autopsy. <laughs> yeah, it's a verbal packaging there. <laughs> On purpose, uh, yeah. There we go, all right. <laughs> so clearly they believe that the doctor can solve their problem. That's why they called. And there's so much less defensive going into it. They're more willing to do whatever he says. And you know, what's funny is money never comes up in most of those doctor visits, right? It's just they, they don't care about it or they just know they're going to have to deal with it no matter what. So how does a used car salesman or an insurance salesman or a, you know, a manager of some kind of an office or a bank or something, I mean, how do they get that kind of credibility? Can they even do that? Yeah, they should just wear a white coat. Okay, you wear a white coat and put a degree <laughs> on the wall. So if you're, I mean, if you're an insurance salesman, that's going to be a little bit weird. Yeah, that'll get weird. We can't do that. It reminds me when I was living in uh, Pennsylvania, got good friends with a doctor. I was going through business school. He was going through medical school. He was going through residency. I moved away. I came back. He was finally a doctor, small little private practice, specialized. And we did lunch. And I said, do you like it? He says, I love it. I'm a doctor now. This is great. I said, well, what's the one thing medical school didn't prepare you for? And he looked at me and he put his hand on his chin. He said, it's interesting I have a really small staff, and someone will come into my small office. They'll see my medical degree on the wall. I'll walk into the back room, and I'll have my white coat on, and I'll open a door. They'll come in, and I'll say, please take off your clothes. And they do. <laughs> he was shocked that people would do that. Here's a perfect stranger. You've been taught your whole life to not take off your clothes. But, oh, white coat, stranger. Didn't matter. There was the expertise. Clothes are off. Not that I'm recommending you get a white coat. I'm just illustrating that subconscious trigger. If you're a doctor, that works well. Now, if you're in insurance or car sales, what do you do to build that expertise? That is the key. And you can do that through, again, coming back to the questions. When you can ask the questions, you're being sincere. You're trying to find out exactly what they want. 
you're the expert, letting them know that, well, this model is a little different because of the horsepower, and you compare it to that, you actually get more for your money with this type of model. So by what you reveal, the questions that you ask, and maybe even borrowing credibility that you're the top Mustang representative in your state, there's a variety of things you could do to build that credibility. Because again, once you're the expert, there's very little persuasion resistance. Yeah, so you might be able to open up with something like, Hey, I want to be respectful of your time, and I've helped a lot of people buy Ford Mustangs here in Kalamazoo, Michigan. So if you don't mind, can we just chat for a couple of quick minutes? I'll get an idea of what you need, what you're looking for, answer any questions you have, and then we can zero in on a couple of quick options and figure out if we can help you here today or not. I mean, is that kind of a... Exactly. And all of a sudden, it's a team effort. We're working together. You're the expert. You might have a little social validation with 100 people on the wall on their pictures that have bought Mustangs. Maybe if someone has recommended you, maybe there's a newspaper article on the wall. Little things like that and the questions you ask go a long way from having credibility and, and asking the right questions. Okay, that's good. So I think the theme here of what you're getting at is in order to make that 5% of the presentation that we're talking about, the close, right? In order to make that not the awkward, painful process that it usually is, it has to be framed up until that point with questions. Exactly. You ask the right questions, you're going to help them close themselves. That simple. Is there a way to know when it's time to go for the kill? (laughs) (laughs) The kill. That's bad verbal packaging. That's a great question because one of the big complaints is that persuaders are talking way too much. In fact, the numbers show three times too much. You're beating around the bush. They were ready 10 minutes ago. You're like, well, but wait, there's more. I got to tell you more. I'm like, well, no, you don't. You're buying a car. You just need to know horsepower and a few other things. Everything else is a bonus. So you, as a persuader, need to be able to look at buying signals. When it's time to shut up, they don't need to know everything. When it's time to shut up and say, okay, let's go on. Let's get the paperwork rolling. And there's a couple things that you can do. If you're face-to-face, you, you can see their facial expressions relax a little bit. They might be looking at the paperwork more. If there's a spouse there... There's approving glances. There's a spark in their eyes. They start leaning closer. Their head will nod up and down. Then, you know, done. Quit talking. It's time to close. Or they might ask you, well, can you tell me the terms? Or can I have a longer guarantee? Or can I see the demonstration again? Or can I take delivery in two weeks? You know, done. Okay, quit talking. Or you might hear things like, well, that's a good deal. Or that's not expensive. I can see that will solve my problems. I can see how this would really help us in, in our profit margin. Whatever it is. Shut up. Done. Okay, well, let's get going. Let's go start the paperwork. And they'll probably say, okay, let's go, because they're ready to roll. Done deal. Too many persuaders get stuck. Well, I haven't explained everything yet, <laughs> especially network marketers. Well, I haven't talked about the comp plan yet. Well, I haven't talked about the products yet. It doesn't matter. If they're ready, you can fill in the blanks later. You have to hit while the iron's hot, like they say, and seal the deal. Let's say that they ask you something like that. They say, well, can I have it in green? Or can I have it on these terms? Is it appropriate to say, if I can get it on those terms, are you comfortable with this deal? Would you like to proceed? Sure. Or even, is green the color you want today? You know, simple things to where you can turn that into a question. Once the trust is there, once you have the credibility, you can turn it around to the point says, well, if I can get it in green the next couple of weeks, is this something you want to do? When you have that relationship, that will work. If you start off with that, it will backfire. Okay, good point, good point. So, The questions have all been asked. They feel like you understand what it is they need. So don't they call that a tie-down, basically? It's a tie-down, and you can make it a little softer. It says, well, we have white, green, or blue. Which one's the best for you? 
is a little less invasive, uh-huh. but it's still the same type of thing. Okay. Okay, good, good. Any other pointers? And I think we ought to probably do another show on specifics of uh, questioning and such, but we'll talk about that because it's something that we do hear from the listeners a lot. People are concerned about closing skills and really you and I probably just assume, ah, we don't need to do that. It's it's all about rapport because that's what we think it is. <laughs> but it's something that they want to hear about. We're not listening to, we're not practicing what we preach there if we just assume that we know what they want. But I mean, that's what it really is. It's that rapport and it's the questions up front. And a lot of these problems with closing seem to go away. So I think that's what it comes down to, listeners, is if you're having trouble with closing, well, how are you opening? That that's ultimately what this comes down to. It does. That's a big question. I think maybe in the next show we can talk about the psychology of objections, why people have that knee-jerk reactions. And a lot of times when they say it's too expensive and it's a lie, how do you solve that? What to do? Because that's part of the closing process too. And the way you handle those and your demeanor goes a long way if you're closing the right way. So maybe that will be step two, going into the psychology of objections. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. We'll do next week on the psychology of objections deal. So, Kurt, we have got a couple of things to talk about. And last week we did a blunder from the fast food industry. Because <laughs> I know y'all need more help on how to deal with your your awkward fast food encounters. We aim to please here on the show. So th- this week, we actually found, because you kind of were had your antenna up on this as far as uh, crappy fast food workers go. And no, listeners, we don't eat this much fast food. It sounds like we're just gobbling down Baconators all the time. But uh, <laughs> It's just, it's another industry that's ripe for blunders and ninjas. So tell us, this is kind of the opposite. I think you should cue the ninja first. All right, here's the ninja. All right, you know, we talked about fast food and we have to talk about food on the show. And this one, again, my antenna was up because of the blunder and and what they asked. And so I pull up to this fast food restaurant. Do we need to name names again? Yeah, we're we're not. uh... Oh, all right. So this is Carl's Jr., West Coast thing, and Hardy's on the East Coast. And they have this new Texas burger, and of course it came on. I pulled up. You know, it's not something I do all the time, but I pulled up, and they say, hey, do you want to try our new Texas burger, right? They were trained to say that. I says, I don't know. Should I? Why should I try the Texas burger? Just to test them out to see what's going on, and this guy says, yes, you do. It is unbelievable. It'll make your taste buds sing, and just went on to this tirade about how incredible this burger was. And that was not going to be my first choice. I had something else in my eye says, I will take it. (laughs) The passion, the enthusiasm caught me off by surprise. I was ready for, yeah, it's really good because that's what they're trained to say. But they were on it. I don't know if they were lying or not, but I felt some passion, enthusiasm, they were excitement. It was going to make my taste buds sing. Hello, let's do it. That's the ninja of the day. A little passion, a little enthusiasm, a little energy. You can just influence people on a simple decision like what hamburger to buy. That's so refreshing, you know, when you deal with somebody in those businesses like fast food or something that it's a grind working in that job, but they, they've got that energy that that guy's going places. He's going to be able to sell very effectively throughout his life if he chooses to move out of that industry. That's true. Cause a lot of people, oh, I'll just get through the day. What do you want? Hey, no, let's have some fun. Let's be passionate. Let's talk to people. Let's make people's day. Let's use a little energy. Like you say, he's going to go a long way. It doesn't matter what he does. He's got that one thing that most people are missing. That's right. Now, let's go to a blunder. You want to cue up Homer for me? Homer, talk to us. Don't, don't, don't. There he is. There's our pal Homer. And this one is a a blunder about trust. This happened to uh, me the other day. And I had been researching purchasing a 
new firearm, as I do occasionally. We've talked about that on the show before. And I had done a ton of research. In fact, my wife's always asking me, are you looking at guns again? <laughs> and she, yeah, she does sound like that. You ever notice how uh, when a guy imitates a woman, it's always, <laughs> and when the woman imitates a man, it's, <laughs> we better, we better air that one out. You're getting in trouble. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's, a, you know, the, the sexes have their ways of, of imitating each other. So she actually doesn't talk like that, but that was fun for the story. She's, are you looking at guns again? What are you doing looking at those all the time? And I'm like, well, it's kind of my thing. And so I went to a local a gun shop and I said, hey, Show me an XYZ model. And they pulled it out, and I looked at it, and I said, oh, what do you think of this? Oh, we don't like it. It's got this problem, and it's got that problem. And I'm thinking, it just didn't feel right, Kirk, because I'm like, what is it doing on the shelf if it's so horrible, right? Do you guys have any principles? So I thought, okay. And they said, you know what we do like is, and they pulled out another model, and they showed me. And I I held them in my hands and obviously didn't bowl them apart to look at the quality, but I thought, it's kind of the, the same. I don't see what the big hubbub is. Well, I left. I didn't make any purchases because what they told me contradicted everything that uh, I was told online through a bunch of forums and and disinterested third parties, which that's the mind of the consumer today, right? They can do a ton of research. Well, come to find out from a friend of mine who knew somebody that works there, oh, guess what? Guess what they get paid more on, firearm A or firearm B? (laughs) Mm. Yeah, it was the second one that they showed me. They make a lot more money on that one. So, of course, firearm A is not something that they're going to recommend. Think I'm ever going to go buy something from those guys again? Never again. And that's such an important lesson for all you persuaders out there. Whenever you demean a product, demean the competition, demean a person, it demeans you. And that person's going to walk. Probably not purchase either one, but they will walk with a bad taste in their mouth or that feeling in their stomach that something's wrong, something's not right. And like you said, you are never going back, which that store owner probably never knows or the salesperson never knows, but you are never going back. Nope. No mas. So there you go, everybody. That is our show for the week. Thanks for joining us as always. We'll catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. We'll catch you next week. 